Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring, and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Today on the show, we are going to talk all about minimalism and how we can fight against consumerism and why we would do that in the first place. And it's really interesting. I was definitely not very simplistic before I went to college. I specifically remember my friend Addie, who was going to the University of Georgia with me, coming to my house and looking at my double closet of clothes with me to think about what am I going to bring to college. And I mean, I had hundreds of items of clothing. Shopping was like a fun thing to do in middle school and we would just get whatever was on sale and call it a day. But even beyond that, I don't think I had ever really gotten rid of anything. I have been five foot two since maybe fifth grade, sixth grade. And so I've been kind of the same size for a long time at this point and I just had so much stuff. Beyond that, I also remember her being like, let's throw away this top. And I'm like, but that was my first kiss top. And, you know, I had all these emotional attachments to the things in my closet. And to be fair, I do think that clothes, for whatever reason, we can have a visceral response to our clothing. We can feel really attached to our clothing. So there's an emotional aspect there that maybe isn't true with other parts of our home. But that's one specific example I have of kind of my pre-minimalistic state (laughs) where I really held on to everything. Having Addie really helped me and really having to pare it down for college was step one. Like a lot of college freshmen in the United States, I had a dorm room. I lived in Brumby at the University of Georgia for all of my Georgia listeners. And we had one bunk on one side, one bunk on the other side, a tiny closet for each of us, and that was it. And so I had to really pare down at that point, and I felt like it was a really great exercise and really great step into minimalism and just putting kind of a pinky toe into minimalism. Then I met my now husband, then boyfriend Chaz, the very beginning of my sophomore year of college, and he, like, whereas I am not naturally minimalistic, Chaz is naturally minimalistic. So I'm an Enneagram 7 who loves more things, more travel, more food, more pleasure, more fun. More is just woven into my DNA. And Chaz is an Enneagram 9. He is very steadfast and he really cares about financial things. And so I think for him, his minimalism isn't necessarily rooted in, it's not like necessarily it's at the time I would say it wasn't necessarily a spiritual practice or I don't know like something he would blog about because Chaz would never but it was mostly rooted in financial reasons so his mom would give him 
X amount, let's just say she gave him $600 a month for like housing because he lived in a place that cost him like 200 bucks a month because he's who he is and food and all these things. And he would literally take 300 of it and put it in savings. And so his minimalism came from this desire to spend zero money. So when I met Chaz, his simplicity and minimalism was not just things, although it was things. It was also he ate pasta and black beans and that was his food because it was so cheap and it filled him up and it it got the job done. The food definitely really upgraded when he met me because I've always loved to cook. I know that's a huge part of my brand now, but he's oh, I've always loved to cook. So I definitely like the way to his heart is through his stomach and always has been. So that worked out for me well. And so Chaz very highly suggested this life of minimalism to me very early on when I was like probably 19. So that is my introduction to minimalism is just from having to go to college and really pare down and then also paired with Chaz who is very minimalistic himself and then since then the past oh gosh 13 years it has been a core part of who we are as a family how we choose to spend money how we choose to give money and so I want to talk to you today about minimalism but what I also call sacred simplicity and I call it sacred simplicity because I feel like for us and for me it really feels like a spiritual practice and it has many facets that make it that way but let's talk first about consumerism and I feel like consumerism is just a part of our identity it's very clear to me that in America it seems like we are what we have that's who we are and It became even clearer to me swapping cultures entirely. So we lived in Atlanta, Georgia for three years. Before that, we lived in Augusta for a year, Savannah for two. So we had been in the South our entire lives. And a lot of the culture there is like you're wearing a Nordstrom dress, you're wearing Tory Burke sandals, your little kiddos are in smocked clothing with a bow on top. And... There are certain brands that are very popular in the South that you will never see in Colorado. Like all of the ruffle butts, all of the smocking, all of the, I don't even know the brands, honestly, but all of the ruffles and all of that, that is not in Colorado at all. And we moved to Colorado and consumerism is part of the identity here too. Everyone has all Patagonia and that's like we only wear athletic wear pretty much all of the time. And everyone has a ski pass and you own your skis and a kayak and an electric car and all of these things. And it's just so different than the things that people own in the South. And so that was really interesting to me, swapping cultures and really just getting to see how much what we own is part of our identity. And you can see that clearly when you're comparing two cultures. And so I feel like the lie that we have really bought into is the more that you get, the happier you'll be. And I just need a little more X, right? Like I need more money. I need a bigger home. I need kids or I need more kids or all these things. I need a better job. I need to excel in my company, whatever it is. And that's just not true. I heard this story that there was this like Eastern 
master, okay? And this guy comes to him and he's like, oh, I got this good thing, right? Like, I'm so excited. I got a meal from the farmer's market today. And every single time that this guy comes to this master, he says, it too shall pass. And then he's like, oh, I broke my leg. It too shall pass. Oh, I got a new horse. It too shall pass, right? So whether it's good or whether it's bad, it too shall pass. And we really aren't more happy with more things. There are studies that say that there is a little bit more happiness when you get out of poverty, when you have a little bit more income, then eventually the curve actually goes down. We become less happy the more that we get. And so I think that our response to this really deadly culture of consumerism is radically choosing simplicity, which is why I call it sacred simplicity. I feel like it's a radical act to decide not to get more and more things. And what does it really mean to live a life of minimalism or sacred simplicity? I think it's a lot of things. First of all, it can go by a lot of names. Simplicity, simple living, frugality, which is what the monks called it. But really minimalism is the conscious choice of less in pretty much all areas of your life to experience more. But what are the benefits of this? It's not just to be radical, right? It's cool to me because minimalism is a secular movement. So you've probably seen lots of blogs about minimalism, about minimalistic style. Although this is not like an architectural movement, but minimalistic style in maybe your home, minimalistic architecture. You've probably seen capsule wardrobe blogs and things like that. But actually... It's currently a secular movement, but it has spiritual roots. And simple living is something that Jesus encouraged himself. He taught 38 parables, and of those, 16 of them dealt with the topic of money. And 15% of everything that he said had to do with either money or possessions. To me, this is something that was really important to Jesus to talk about, and that's because I think that it's even back in the time where Jesus was living, possessions have a way of pushing out the things of God. We can make everything an idol, whether it's something that you want to buy that you think will bring you joy. That's really the definition of an idol is replacing God. And so I feel like when we are choosing to buy less, own less, it's making way for more God in your life. And that's why I personally choose this path of sacred minimalism. And let me just say that we are in no way perfect. Oh my gosh, we are so far from perfect. We probably own four times more things than we need to own, but we are constantly working at this and it is a process for sure. Additionally, I do think that this mindset, this concept, this process has helped our family. It's not that we don't buy things at all, but it's that we try to do a good job of choosing the things that we buy very purposefully. Does it have a need? Is it fulfilling a need for us? Have I wanted this for a really long time? That's a key for me. I'll give you an example. We are actually heading to Alaska tomorrow, which is crazy. So hopefully you'll see some of our highlights on Instagram. But we're heading to Alaska tomorrow. I have wanted this National Park water bottle 
from Wondery where you get to put the National Park stickers on the water bottle because at the end of the summer, I think we will have gone to maybe 23, 24 National Parks out of 63, which is super fun. And so this has just been one of the things that we've done as a family. So I've wanted this water bottle and wanted this water bottle and wanted this water bottle. And last week I was like, you know what? I really do want this water bottle. I'm super excited about it. I think it would be really fun to do with the kids before we leave to Alaska and then really fun to have this water bottle in Alaska. So I spent the exorbitant amount of money for this water bottle, not in general, but like for a water bottle, it was expensive. And I'm so excited about it because I've wanted it for a long time. And so I feel like we make less of these offhanded, oh, there's this thing that's on sale kind of choices that I used to make when I was younger. And now I feel like it's more just about being intentional about your purchases and making sure there's a true want or a need for that item. And later on in the show, I'm going to actually run through my checklist with you of the thought processes that we have when we are buying something new. So I want to be really clear to you that it's not just about subtracting, it's all about adding. And If we just take everything out of our house, I think that actually creates a vacuum and vacuums are never good because random stuff just starts flying in. Instead, I feel like we actually need to figure out what our values are. So what's really important to us? Brene Brown has a lovely exercise about finding your two values. It's really hard to get it down to two. I feel like I can pretty easily on my own get down like our family values to maybe five or six, but two is really tough. But knowing your values is really important because then you can make purchases around your values. So for us, our family has two values that are really important to us. And our family values are faith and health. So those are two of the most important things in our life. Besides, like if I were to do my personal values, family would be one of mine. But when we're doing our family values, you get to skip family, which is great. So faith and health are our family's core values. And so everybody in our family is aware of these values. We talk about them often. And so it just makes any choice easier. And so one time Owen had a soccer game And he had a soccer tournament scheduled and the air quality was like 197. It was absolutely atrocious from some wildfire somewhere. And on Friday night, he didn't have a game, but like the older boys had games and they were canceled. Saturday, the air quality was even worse, but the games weren't canceled. And it was super hard for me because I'm like, Owen, this is essentially the equivalent of allowing you to smoke three cigarettes. Like the report on the air quality was, this is terrible for everybody. No one should do any kind of rigorous activity outside, especially children and elderly. It's terrible for everybody. There's some air qualities that are like, it could be bad if X, Y, Z. No, this was just like, this is going to be terrible for you. And so we chose not to play that game. And I had to tell Owen, Owen, playing this game would be outside of our family values because we really care about your health and your wellness and we feel like it's our responsibility to keep you safe and to keep you healthy and this is not a healthy situation we'd be putting you in and of course he was really sad but he understood like he was like I totally understand mommy it's not a healthy choice and I'm not mad at you I'm actually sad for all the other boys that are going that they didn't cancel the game And so I feel like that's an example not of buying something, but of just living in your values. And so in order to 
really practice minimizing well, you have to figure out what you're minimizing down to. So what's really important to you? So when it comes to minimalism and sacred simplicity for us as a family, family is one of our values and we really love experiences. And so we spend a lot of our budget on travel and making memories with our kids. And that's really fun. That's really important to me and makes me feel really alive. We really focus on outdoor things and being in the outdoors helps me, everybody, but especially Chaz, feel really close to God. And so that's a huge part of our budget that I feel like is in line with our values. Generosity is a huge value for us. And especially Chaz, I feel like he definitely has taught me generosity as we've been together. And so a huge portion of our budget goes towards our local church, goes to friends who are missionaries, goes to nonprofits we believe in. And so being generous is hugely important to us. So that's something that we practice, that we teach our children, and that's hugely important to us. And so just takes a moment to really decide what your values are. And then that can be a really great lens for when you're getting rid of something like, I'm going to get rid of my kayak. Okay, sure, that will free up a lot of space in your garage, but like, do you love to kayak? Do you love that kayaking brings your community together and community is a huge value for you? So I think it's a really great lens to view this concept through. So if you want to do Brene Brown's values exercise, which is really wonderful, head to brenebrown.com slash resources slash living dash into dash our dash values. And I will put that link in the show notes for you to do that exercise. And so how you spend your time, your money, your energy can be a really good indication of what you're currently valuing. So take a look at your budget and see where you're spending your money. And it can be very out of line with what you think of yourself. So if you think of yourself home-cooked meals and eating dinner together around the dinner table is really important to our family. But then when you see like your Uber Eats budget or your going out to eat budget or things like that and it's astronomical, then you're realizing, oh, okay, so maybe I'm saying one thing and doing another, which happens to me all the time. And that can be really helpful to do this discovery phase of how am I spending my time, my energy, my money to really figure out what's important to you now. You might find out, like for me, I would find that we spend a ton of money on travel. Okay, but I feel great about that. That's how I want to spend my money. But you might find it's really aligned with your values or you might find it's not aligned with your values and that's fine. That's when you take a step back, you reevaluate and then you make some changes. So hopefully by now you have heard about the travesties of consumerism. It doesn't satisfy us. The benefits of minimalism, even on a spiritual level. So now I want to talk you through a little bit of how to do it. And this can be, there are a million books on how to purge and organize your home. But I'm going to give you an overview of kind of my strategy. And this is something that is actually an ongoing process. The first time's the worst. It's pretty atrocious. It's hard to do, but I definitely think it's really worth it. And then it gets easier every time you do it. So we actually go back and purge 
probably quarterly. Chaz and I will get kind of the itch at the same time and so then we'll go through our spaces again. I think it's easiest to start with the least emotional spaces with the least emotional items in it or you're going to get really fatigued and you're going to quit. So you can also start with a small space. So if you want to start in the kitchen and then you want to decide actually I'm today I'm just going to do my pantry. Like you don't even have to do one room at a time. It can be like a closet at a time and I find that giving yourself a quick win gives you the momentum to keep going and moving on to other spaces. So here is the process of purging and organizing the things that you do have and deciding what you want to keep and what you want to give away. So the first step is to purge. So that just means get rid of the things that you don't need. So you're going to have six different piles of what you're getting rid of. That's because you're going to have a weight pile, which I'll explain in a second, a sell pile, recycle, donate, gift, or trash. So even if you're getting rid of things, they might be going in very different places. The weight pile is really helpful because if you say, okay, I really feel like I don't need this, but I want it so bad. I can't get rid of it. I can't part with it. You can put it in a box, put it in a big bin, keep it in your closet for six months. And then when you come back around to do this purging again, see if you used it. You will probably find that you didn't. And then if you want that thing during that six months, go get it. And that's a sign that maybe you do need it. It fills a void in your closet. Next, you're going to prioritize. This means you're going to decide on what you want to keep and what you want to give away. And remember, you still have that weight pile for anything in between. You have a patch pile, which means things that you need to mend or fix before keeping it. And then the last step is put it in its place. So you find a true home for everything. You will quickly find that anything that is lying around, it's because it doesn't have an actual home base. So if there's always a pair of scissors on your console and your foyer, that's because that pair of scissors doesn't have a like totally final home. So finding like a final home for everything is really crucial. And so here's the deal. The hardest part of the process is purging or prioritizing. So deciding on what you're going to keep and what you're going to give away. For me, it makes it easier if I realize I haven't used something in a long time, then it makes it easier to get rid of. Additionally, I try to make a rule for my clothing specifically that if it has a hole or a stain, I totally get rid of it. We have a program called Ridwell in our neighborhood. It's in it's expanding like crazy where I can actually put clothing items in there, but also I can put in all kinds of things that they can recycle, but mostly plastics that are flimsy plastics and multi-layer plastics. So if you're looking for a place to recycle things. I love Ridwell so much. And then also, if you've never sold stuff before, you might be surprised how much money you can make on either Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace selling your things. I just this week, we bought a ski helmet for Owen for 40 bucks. I literally sold it for 20 bucks on Facebook Marketplace. So that's a really fun way to get your money back. The second step is patch. We really have lost the skill of mending things. I feel like our grandparents and great-grandparents, they bought really high-quality items, 
when they broke, they would fix them. And so we do not typically do that anymore. So I have tried to, for myself, decide to fix things more often. If something has a hole, can I sew it? If something's broken, can I Google YouTube how to fix it? You end up spending way less money and way less things are in a landfill, which is a win. And then like I said, putting it in its place is so important to find a permanent home for things. So you can use this process and go room by room and then even like drawer by drawer, closet by closet to make it easier for yourself. Starting in the bathroom is pretty easy because you're not necessarily emotionally attached to things. And the question here is really, do I actually use this? Is it expired? Should I actually get rid of this because I don't use it anymore? And if you have like multiples of things because there was a sale on this exfoliant, then just keep your extras in a different space. So that's something I learned from the home edit and they talk about backstock. Like you're keeping your extra things in a different place and then just have a tray with all of your morning routine in it and you can pull out that little tray or the plastic container and pull it out, use it all and then put it back. Do the same with your nighttime routine and it will keep your bathroom so much tidier. I find that I don't have much in my bedroom. I basically have a bedside table. And so it can be a great place to start and just like pare down what's in your bedside table to actually what you need. For me, the bare minimum is earplugs, a face mask, and I like taking CBD at night. So CBD, if you want to keep a book there, keep a book there. But you really can simplify that space. I feel like that's a junk drawer that can get really messy. Other categories you'll want to go through is office and papers. This can get really overwhelming, but we have a file system. We have a file for each person, and then we have a file for every tax year. So we'll keep those for the recommended amount of time that we need to keep those. And then we also, in this category, I think it's important to talk about having a system for mail because mail can just go everywhere. And if you don't have a system for, sometimes your mail ends up being something that you need to do, like pay a bill, and then having different slots for different people in your family. Your kitchen and pantry you will want to do in stages, but this is one place that we might get bogged down with things that we think we might need in the future. So if you have a single mini waffle maker, maybe you don't actually need that, right? So really asking yourself, have I used this in the last six months and do I need this? Living room typically is pretty simple, but here maybe you can pare down the books that you have to actually ones that you want to read again or want to give out to other people. And then everyone has an entryway, mudroom, foyer, even if there's not a designated space for it, you walk in your home somewhere. (laughs) And that space can get really bogged down and cluttered really quickly. So rule number one for this space, I say no shoes in the house. It has E. coli on the bottom of your shoes. It's not a great idea, even from like a toxicity standpoint. And so we put all of our shoes in a cubby. We keep socks by the door. This is actually an ADHD friendly trick because you don't want to have to go back to your room to get socks. You want your socks when you're putting on your shoes. And then another decluttering tip is to go through your purse or your bag every single time that you come in your house and deal with it. every single time. So then that way you don't have rogue receipts and wrapped up chewing gum just in your purse. You can actually get rid of it every time you go in the house. Then you can pare down kids rooms and clothing and toys the same way. You might have 
a laundry room or where you do laundry in a garage or yard space. The closet can be the hardest place to do this. We love having not a lot of items. A book on this that's really lovely is Lessons from Madame Chic that my friend Lisa Inzer told me to read probably eight years ago. The French notoriously have 10 items in their closet and they really do practice essentially like a uniform. Like I'm going to wear a very similar thing every day. I also have heard the quote recently that fashion is fleeting but style is eternal. So rather than trying to be super fashionable, you can have kind of a set style that is eternal, that pretty much stays the same and you look great, you feel great. I think what's really important about purging your closet is we're trying to purge your closet down to things that you love, things that you feel great in, you look good in, still in good condition, like I said earlier, no stains, no holes. And then if you have 10 pairs of jeans, maybe choose one or two and find what is the favorite thing within this category and do I really need all the other things? And have I actually worn this? So it's easier to do one category at a time. So start with jeans and pare those down. Then go to work clothes and pare those down. And that's because you want to be able to compare things in the same category. Okay, so that's purging your entire home. I know you can do it. And then also too, the other half of the equation is buying things. So you can pare down all you want, but if you still buy 40 things for your wardrobe every month, it's not going to stay simple. So here are some questions that we ask before we buy basically anything. Do I actually need this? If it is a want, could I wait two weeks to ensure that I really want this? So like the water bottle, I do this all the time. So I try not to like get immediate gratification and buy something immediately. I try to wait and see, do I actually want this? And then I ask myself, is there something I already have that could fulfill the same need or purpose? Honestly, I have one pair of heels. I could probably get rid of them because I never wear them, but I need one pair of formal shoes and I don't need 37 pairs of heels. Another question, have I gotten something similar before that I ended up not using or loving? Have I tried this before and I actually don't love this, even though I think I love this. That happens to me a lot. And then just like we talked about our values, is this purchase in line with who I am and what I care about? Or maybe is it in line with my passions or hobbies? A really huge one is do I want to put in the time, effort, and budget to maintain this thing? Because sometimes, like we thought about getting an RV, and do we want to maintain this thing and store it and pay for storage and pay for insurance and all these things? Or do we want to rent an RV once a year? And so we ended up deciding we'd rather rent an RV than own an RV. That's not to say that's the right answer. You might want to own an RV and that's great, but it's a really great question to ask yourself, do I actually want to put in the time, effort, and budget to maintain this thing? Okay, and then if you end up deciding to buy, here's how you can be intentional about your choice. Can you buy it used somewhere? Even if you have the money to buy everything new, I love getting things used because I feel like I'm not increasing the demand for making more things. And also I feel like it's this thing that's used that's being sold isn't going to end up in a landfill. So I feel like I'm, it's the better environmental choice to buy used things and then I save a ton of money. If you're going to buy new, is it worth buying the highest quality of this thing so I don't have to replace it in a few months? You might be able to find a tank top at Target for $10 
You might find another tank top that's ethically made and really high quality for 25. Sure, that's way more expensive, but maybe you'll keep it for three years instead of three months, and so it will pay for itself. Another question I ask is who made this thing and could I find a handmade or a fair trade version? Is the thing I'm buying beneficial or at least not harmful to my health and the planet's health? And what will happen when I'm done with this thing? Can I reuse it in another way? Can I recycle it or will it go to a landfill? I want to end by talking about minimalism with kids. It sounds really crazy to think about our minimalism with our kids, but I personally love it. You might think that it's terrible that I'm minimalistic with my kids, but I feel like we pretty much don't buy our kids stuff very often at all. And to be honest, one of the reasons is I do not love being pestered. And so can we go in the gift shop? Can we buy this thing? Can I buy this thing? Can I buy this thing? They pretty much know that the answer is no. This has gotten easier since my kids started doing chores because they have to make their own money and then they can use their own money. So that's made this process a lot easier. So if you have elementary school kids, I think they can definitely start doing chores and making their own money. But I will say this. Our life of simplicity makes our kids the most generous kids I know and also the most gracious kids I know. Our kids, we took our kids to Disney World in Orlando and I had to kindly ask them to stop thanking us. They thanked us a million times that they got to be there, that they got to be at this cool restaurant, that they got to do these things. They were so grateful. And so I feel like when you're living with less, it helps you appreciate the fun things even more. They're also learning how to use their own money, which I find to be really important in terms of raising kids who are going to be citizens who can actually contribute to the world and survive on their own, which I think is a huge part of parenting. And so I personally love the way that we are very simple with our kids. Some additional questions that we ask our kids before they buy something using their own money is, are you really sure you want this? Is it too similar to something that you already have? I will remind them, okay, you have $50 in your bank account. This purchase would be 20% of that. Is that what you want to spend it on? Or is there anything maybe bigger that you'd like to save up for instead of this tiny little thing that's a dollar, right? And so... Also, I feel like kids are really tempted to buy cheap things because they can buy more cheap things. And so we'll talk about like this may be cheap, but will it really hold up? Will it break right when we leave the shop? And if it broke this week, would you wish you hadn't bought it or would you still be glad you bought it? Really helping them navigate, do I really need this? Do I actually want this? Do I want something else more? That's really helpful. And honestly, I do think these are questions that they should be learning to ask themselves for their adult life too. So that is my recap on sacred simplicity, on minimalism, and also why it's important how to do it and also how to do it with your kids. So I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. I would love to hear on Instagram what you thought about it. And if you are encouraged to live a life of minimalism, if you already consider yourself a minimalist and any thoughts you had about this episode, Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week.